Hey guys, before we get started, it's a good time to tell everyone that Sharp Football Analysis is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. You can choose from season-long, four-week, or weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use Sharp20 for 20% off any product site-wide at Sharp Football Analysis. Hello, welcome to the Sharp Angles podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar and TA, the team over here at Sharp Football Analysis. Guys, it is now week seven. We're almost halfway through the season. How are we doing today? <laughs> you know, what's going on, guys? Uh, yeah, you're you having some fun here. You know, if you guys got to see how the sausage was made in podcasting, uh, you guys probably wouldn't listen to the show, but you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Uh, week seven, like you said, you know, mid October, we're closing in, you know, trick or treat is around the corner and, you know, we, we, we just know what we've got now in the NFL. Like we we've seen like what we've gotten from all these teams. We're still getting random injuries and we're still dealing with the, the COVID concerns and the elements that that are still putting in play, but we know what we've got from a lot of these teams right now. And that's really uh what we've, you know, kind of figured out what we've got this from a sample size this season. And that's kind of what we, look to have, you know, going forward, uh, you know, and hashing out what we want to bet on, you know, what we want to put in our fantasy lineups uh, and what we can expect, you know, every Sunday. So it's, it's kind of nice to kind of figure out what we've got and the good, real good grasp of the lay of the land in the NFL right now. Yeah. And I'm just excited. Uh, I was talking before the pod about how we finally get uh, multiple games at 4 PM instead of the uh, two, two game clunker we got last week, which just should never, ever happen again. Uh, but we got four games at four o'clock. So something to look forward to, uh, but yeah, you know, we're getting a lot of uh, good, uh, good data coming in for these teams. We're starting to figure out who's good and who's not. And, you know, um, you know, some exciting, uh, exciting games coming up and, you know, we're seeing a lot more of uh, these coaching decisions with going for two and fourth downs, which, you know, really excites me. And so uh, it's just, I think it's fun kind of extra little debate we get um, almost ever after every single week um, in terms of some of those decisions. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to see these coaches, even a guy like Romeo freaking Cronell going, being aggressive and going for the, the kill shot in the two. Um, I think that stuff is really, really enjoyable to, to see, you know, these coaches are a little bit more progressive than what we've seen in the past. So I think all of that is, uh, you know, contributed to, uh, um, you know, exciting season so far. And, you know, we finally, it took, took a little, took a little while. We finally saw the unders, uh, take the, uh, take the lead, uh, in a week. And so only four games went over last week out of 14 and, you know, been hitting at it for the last couple of weeks that just, you know, the inflation on these totals has you know gotten to a point where even if you these teams continue to score over 50 points per game you just still can't you know maintain um you know a bunch of overs hitting and you know not only did the, that inflation occur but scoring went down last week we went down to 47 points uh, compared to about 52 in prior weeks so um you know i think uh defenses are starting to catch up a little bit uh offenses are slowing down in terms of pace and um, you know, just general scoring. We've got more in division games. So when you get more, you know, teams that know each other, um, you'll, you'll get, you know, some more familiarity and defenses have a little bit of advantage. So, um, you know, good to see that the things are starting to catch up a little bit, but, you know, as I'll talk about in a little bit, I actually have one over that I really like. So after saying all that, I still like it over, uh, this week, but, uh, but in general, I think the, uh, the play has been really good. So getting, looking forward to this weekend. Betting unders, betting unders is never fun, anyways. Never, never. It's more, it's take over or, or pass. I don't care what your numbers say. 
Yeah, so there's a lot of interesting games on this slate uh, this week. So with that in mind, here is 60 minutes of Giants and Eagles talk. <laughs> yeah, that's just how I like it. Um, yeah, so that's Thursday night game. We are, we are going to pretty much completely ignore that because depending on, uh, one, we don't want to talk about it, and uh, two, by the time you listen to this, probably not even going to matter. So let's move on to – Eagles the- are fun, though. We talked about it a little bit. The Eagles play fun games. Like, they're, they're super awful games, like, in a weird way, but, like, weird things happen in every Eagles game. It's like, they've already got a tie. they got receivers recovering, like, 80-yard runs for, you know, fumble touchdowns. Uh, they play, play fun games. Their games are entertaining, at least. Yeah, there, there's a line between chaotic fun and unwatchable bad that this game is probably going to just tow the entire time. Uh, and there might be one or two plays that, that push it one way or the other. But I, I think those are the only two options, either chaotic fun or unwatchable bad. Uh, and that's, that's probably all we're getting tonight. Yeah, and I do think that they, the Eagles definitely held out some guys on Sunday just for this game because they can't make the playoffs unless they win the division. They know that. They're a smart organization. So I think they're going to throw the kitchen sink, if you, if you really need to, at the Giants to win this game. And, you know, they've got Lane Johnson back and, and Deshaun Jackson, and I think Boston Scott will, will be just fine. So uh, I'm actually looking forward to it. I, I like when Philadelphia is good because I like that organization. But, uh, yeah, it probably won't be that exciting, but, uh, but I think um, – you know, it'd be good to see the Eagles get a win here. Yeah, so that's already uh, much longer than I wanted to talk about that game. So let's move on to the actual good games on the slate. I think I'm going to jump in with, the, I think the game, one of the, at least one of the games I'm, I'm most interested in watching this week, and that is the Steelers and Titans. These are two teams uh, that are among the best in the AFC right now, and they're just coming at it from really interesting ways. Uh, the Steelers are kind of, you know, dinking, thinking dunking their way on offense right now. You know, Ben Roethlisberger has, you know, one or two deep throws uh, a game that kind of make the Ben defenders say, hey, he's still got it. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's a lot of, you know, screens, short passes and stuff like that. I think Juju Smith-Schuster right now is his target rate is completely down, but I think he has the lowest A dot uh, of qualified receivers uh, per NFL's next-gen stats, uh, just uh, a little below Evan Ingram, uh, which, you know, Awesome. <laughs> um, and then it, on, on defense, the Steelers just have an incredible pressure rate right now. They are the only team in, in the league uh, above 50% pressure rate overall for sports info solutions. They're hovering at about like 60%. Uh, and the next team is actually Miami at 49%. So they're just getting pressure. Uh, we kind of talked about this last episode that the, the, the secondary isn't holding up uh, as well. And we'll see how that uh, goes with Devin Bush out. And I think that's really interesting against Tennessee, this team that is just killing with play action. Um, and that's how they're getting just everything open. This is a team running completely out of play action, opening up that short intermediate area of the field, uh, especially, you know, with AJ Brown back with Johnny Smith. I think it's going to be a really interesting thing. The play action is probably going to try to slow down that Pittsburgh pass rush a little bit. Um, and especially without, you know, Devin Bush in the middle, we, we might see that middle area of the field really open up. So I think this is a really interesting dynamic between two team strengths here. So, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this game and I'm looking at just as for concern, you know, we lose Taylor Luan last week for the season and you look at Ryan Tannehill's, you know, splits under pressure and against the blitz and they're really poor. I mean, he's 22nd in the NFL in yards for pass attempt under pressure. 
Uh, and then he's averaging 6.4 yards per pass attempt when blitz as opposed to eight and a half yards when he's not getting the, the getting blitz. And we saw last week with Baker Mayfield and his, you know, pressure versus, you know, non-pressure splits. And those kind of came to, 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 to fruition. You know, the Steelers are blitzing at the highest rate in the NFL. They're number one in pressure rate. And then also when you look at Mike Rabel for as savvy as he is, and he's kind of proven to be kind of a sharp head coach. And we saw last week with him taking the, you know, the 12th man penalty and, and kind of saving clock and then tying the game with four seconds left. But he still comes out and they run the ball on first down. Every, you know, almost every play. They're running the ball 62% of the time on first down. That's the third highest rate in the NFL. And against runs on first down, the Steelers are allowing 2.8 yards per carry. That's second in the league. So pass protection, protecting Ryan Tannehill against the blitz and having to be creative and come out of this, this Derrick Henry first down runs and putting themselves in bad second and third downs uh, is going to be a big uh, crucial element of this game. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, Taylor Lewan injury. I think it's huge, especially in this matchup. So his backup um, is Ty Sembralo, however you pronounce his name. Uh, he's a veteran. He came came from Atlanta, but you know in his career he's allowed a nine percent pressure rate, which is which is way above average. He's allowed two sacks already this year on only uh, sixty nine pass snaps. So um, that is going to be a major concern, I think, um, for for Tennessee protecting Ryan Tannehill and. You know, this is kind of interesting. I think on the other side of the ball, you know, Pittsburgh, it's like one of those things where if they have a good matchup like they did against the Browns, it's, you know, kind of they'll swallow the opponents, right? Like it's just it's just nothing you can really do about about it. But obviously Tennessee is a step up here for them. Um, they haven't played anybody even close to, to this level, um, you know, I think uh, overall. And, you know, one thing that I think might regress, so Pittsburgh's early down offense ranks only 26 in the NFL in success rate, and they've really lived off of third downs. So um, they're third in the NFL on, on third downs and success rate. And a lot of that is just Big Ben, like you said, just throwing it up to, to, the, uh, to the new uh, Megatron uh, uh, Claypool, and uh, he's making big plays. And so, uh, and I think you could, you could make some of those big plays against his Titans secondary. Uh, who've been susceptible to that. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I don't, I, I think it's going to be an awesome matchup between Derek Henry um, and that defensive front. I mean, I don't think he's going to be able to stiff arm <laughs> uh, any of those guys like he did uh, Josh Norman, um, you know, last week. So uh, I, I think this is going to be, um, this is going to be a fun matchup. I don't have a dog in this fight. Uh, I think, you know, you can make a case for both sides. They're, they've kind of both overachieved in my opinion, and you know they're both covering at a high rate um it's interesting the line opened pittsburgh minus one and a half and now it's tennessee minus one and a half they're getting a lot of the money although at the end of the day you know one and a half to one and a half isn't really a big move because you're not crossing that uh that, that key number of three but uh i personally will stay away from this game i think it's just a fun game to watch uh it'll be interesting clash of uh, styles and hopefully uh you know Tannehill will take some shots deep because he, he really hasn't this year i mean he's 28th and uh, deep attempts among quarterbacks um, and the, you know, the Steelers have actually struggled with the deep ball. So we'll see if he has enough time and he's able to, to, to buy some time in the pocket, you know, maybe he can take some shots down to uh, AJ Brown. So uh, really, really looking forward to it, but just from a betting perspective, I don't have a, have a side here. Yeah. And that's something we can watch. And especially this you know, Tennessee passing offense that's been so play action heavy ryan Tannehill right now only averaging 6.5 yards per attempt without play action and that was actually worse before the houston game he was among the league low uh in uh 
yards per attempt without play action. Uh, that got a little better last week. And I think just it, I'm completely just continually uh, amazed by the Titans of these things that we expect to regress. Like I've been big on the, the Ryan Tannehill, um, you know, production in the intermediate level. Uh, he's still completing 75% of his passes uh, on attempts that go between 11 and 19 air yards. Like that, that's just insane. Uh, that's like a Drew Brees level and Ryan Tannehill before last year was never even close um, to the on-target rate or completion percentage in that level. But he's carried that over this year in the red zone again. They're among the best red zone offenses that we thought we looked at last year. They were scoring on like touchdowns on 75% of their red zone trips. Uh, and they're not quite there this year, but they're still a top five red zone touchdown team. Um, so, it, But when you look at Arthur Smith, it's they're designing plays that open up those areas of the field. The intermediate's open. The, there's always someone open in the red zone. Um, and it's just... I'm continually waiting for that to just stop and and it hasn't. So that's one of the things I'm just completely fascinated with, uh, with Tennessee as we go here. Um, and so we'll see if it's, it's just really good design or it's that bubble is, is eventually uh, about to burst. Yeah. Betting against the Titans regression has not done me uh, a lot of favors since the back half of last year. Like I'm still convinced it's, it's coming at some point, but it just, it doesn't. <laughs> um, so as we do this, let's, let's move along. Uh, what are, what are some other games that you guys are, are uh, really looking at uh, on this slate today? I, you know, you one game it? that I, Oh, I'll, I'll, sorry. One game that I really love and you can, you can step in here, uh, Rich, because yeah, this might be a game that features a lot of guys from a fantasy perspective is I took the over in the green Bay Houston game at 56 now, unfortunately, it's up to 57. So, um, and 56 is a key number, but I think there's this, I think this is a 60 plus scoring game. I mean, the, the number of matchups on both sides just, I just, is so conducive for an over here. It's going to be in the dome. So, no weather concerns. You know, I, I was on Tampa last week. I talked about it here on the, on the pod about how Green Bay has not faced a defense like they were going to face with Tampa. Um, you know, and, and they made them look really, really bad. I mean, Rodgers was awful. Got pressured, especially in the second half. And, you know, we saw it last year. I mean, the three games where he struggled the most and that offense really looked poor uh, was against that that Chargers team uh, with that defensive front and the two Niners games. I mean, uh, they couldn't do anything uh, against a, a, a team with, with good pressure up front that doesn't have to blitz to get pressure and can kind of take away Devontae Adams. And that's what we saw last week. And so I like taking a team like like this this Green Bay offense off a bad performance, uh, going up against a, a really bad Houston defense. And so, you know, to me, this is this is a good number here for the over. I mean, look at some of these matchups. You've got Green Bay, number two in success rate running the football against a 28th ranked run, uh, run defense for Houston. They're number five in the, the, the highest explosive run percentage versus a Houston defense that allowed the third most explosive runs. They're seventh in adjusted line yards uh, on offense against the 32nd ranked adjusted line yard defense. They're number three in success rate throwing the football against the number 29 ranked pass defense. Um, Houston has no pass pass rush. They're 25th in pressure rate. Aaron Rodgers is third best in the NFL with a clean pocket. Um, I mean, and Houston has not played, you know, any offenses that is in the top 14 in um, uh, pressure rate or lowest pressure rate. So they've, they've played 
offenses that actually do allow pressure and they still haven't given um, these teams trouble from that perspective. So finally they're playing the best offensive line um, that they've faced so far. It's not even close. Green Bay's number eight in terms of pressure rate allowed. And so um, I think from, from Green Bay side, you're going to see plenty of points. I don't think it's going to be a problem. They've got nobody to guard Devontae Adams. And on the other side of the ball, I mean, Deshaun Watson has been pretty good uh, in kind of a down season. He's number two in the NFL in explosive pass percentage. Um, now, Green Bay's only allowed the, the 10th most uh, explosive pass plays, but they haven't faced a ton of good offenses. I mean, I mean they've, they've avoided Kenny Galladay and, and Michael Thomas and Julio Jones. So they haven't faced the, the type of, uh, of offenses that, you know, they could face here. Green Bay is only 30th in pressure rate. I mean, they haven't gotten to the quarterback at all. And Deshaun Watson, we know his issue has been um, protecting the, the football and, and, you know, the offensive line hasn't protected him for the last couple of years, but he's fourth best in the NFL with a, with a clean pocket. So he should have time to, to make some plays and to make, you know, even better, these defenses rank 30th and 28th in, in missed tackles. I mean, it's just like there's so much fantasy uh, goodness here that I think there's going to be tons of points. I mean, Houston's eighth in the NFL in neutral game six uh, uh, pace. Now, Green Bay's 19th, but, you know, still good enough. I think this is going to be a back and forth game. I think it'll be a lot of points. And I'm lo- really looking forward to this one. Uh, and I think, you know, 56, 57. I think you're okay there uh, from an over perspective. I mean, the, 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 in this, this game, and there's a lot of good fantasy. It's a great fantasy slate in general. But, uh, yeah, anytime you get two teams that just can't pressure the quarterback, uh, we're always excited, and that's kind of what we've got here. This, that's where you, you initially are drawn to, is that neither of these teams are pressuring the quarterback, and we got two good quarterbacks, so we should be all right. I was excited to see Rodgers play last week against a good defense because I, it was, you know, I wanted to see how real it was, you know, the start of a season, and – I mean, flamed. I mean, he was awful. And it was just kind of goes back to last year when he was just like strictly a matchup based play because they hadn't played anybody. So now we have to wonder if like that's still part of the stigma. He didn't do anything to alleviate that, you know, our concerns, but we don't have to worry about it here, which is great. Houston has just been horrendous against the run so far too. I mean, they're allowing six and a half yards per carry on first down rushing attempts, like the most obvious rushing down uh, there is. They've allowed 31 carries of 10 or more yards. It's by far the most in the league. Uh, They've allowed 605 yards on those carries which is mostly the next highest team the Bengals is allowed 455 yards on those explosive runs so they're getting crushed in the in gash not only in the passing game but also in the in the run game for explosive plays uh these are the top two te- or these teams are second and third and plays of 20 yards or more per game uh so it, it like you said it just sets up it's, it's really hard to find pieces you don't love uh I'm curious what Dan thinks about the Houston wide receivers and, you know, the start of the season that uh, Jair Alexander's had. I know he's, he's not dropped any Jair Alexander gifts in the first and tens. Uh, it, it, you know, he's a guy that's, you know, really only struggled with Adam Thielen so far this season. Uh, and he's, if he's a guy that thinks he, he can get in the way of these like short, you know, more speed-based wide receivers, uh, which he's a big physical guy. And he gave Brandon Cooks a ton of trouble a couple years ago when Brandon Cooks was hot with the Rams. Uh, although he'll probably see more Will Fuller, or maybe he won't. Maybe Dan. Is well, that's, that's, I was going to ask that. Is he is he a shadow corner? Would he, I mean, I don't even know who you would shadow. I guess I mean between Fuller and Cooks, I, I don't know if it matters. But yeah, curious about that. Got anything for us, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the kind of uh, the thing where I'm not totally sure if Houston has that guy that you would uh, want to shadow, and the uh, the way Green Bay's defense is right now is. You know, it's Jair Alexander, and then there's there's not a lot of help otherwise. Um, when you look, you know, Chandon Sullivan's uh, playing, you know, 
well enough um, and around there. But like you said, it's they're not getting pressure. So, and a lot of it is coming, you know, some of it, it's asking these Packers cornerbacks to be covering for a long time. And even on the plays where Jair Alexander is playing uh, really well, um, he, he's among the, you know, the top uh, few uh, top 20 in uh, adjusted yards allowed per coverage snap, which is just basically the, the pro football reference formula, which takes in, um, you know, touchdowns and interceptions. So he, he is playing well there. You know, Kevin King is uh, been not great, which has kind of been the, the Kevin King case a little bit. So even when Jair Alexander's playing well, you still have this open receiver who's playing opposite. And that's kind of been the Packers problem. And when you add in, they can't really get pressures. Darius Smith has not been able to get pressure off the edge. Um, when you look at uh, ESPN's past uh, rush win rate, uh, Seth Walder of ESPN has been sharing this. Um, Darius Smith has an extremely low win rate off the edge but when he moves inside uh that's where he's much better but you're not going to be winning a lot with Zedaria Smith inside they're doing some weird stuff with Preston Smith who's now only rushing the passer about 65 percent of the time and when he's doing that he only has like a four percent pressure rate and that's insane so I have no idea what the entire Packers defensive philosophy is how they've taken a lot of talent and just made it completely worthless and that's what we're kind of seeing right now so i uh, yeah it, this is going to be a, a a game where neither team's going to have a problem scoring or, or moving the ball and especially when you look at you know with green bay last week it was you know this tampa bay defense which i think we should say is really good it's probably you know maybe the one defense in the league right now we can say it is actually a dominant unit you know we, we talked about the colts earlier in the year how they came out pretty good in in some advanced metrics but a lot of that was because of the turnovers and stuff but Tampa Bay just has this defense that can, that can beat you anywhere. They're a high blitz team and they have the corners and, and the secondary that can back up that blitz. So you have nowhere to go. And that happened a lot with Rogers last week. He was getting pressured and, and just didn't have that outlet. And so much of what the green Bay offense did well uh, during the beginning of the season was Rogers was getting off some of those short passes in the rhythm of the offense. And they just, they couldn't do that last week. So that was a lot of where you saw more of the throwaways that looked like the Rogers of the past couple of years. That's not going to be the case against Houston. So like you guys said, it, this is going to be just a, a game where no one's really stopping anyone kind of like the, the Tennessee Houston game last week. And that's kind of why you saw Romeo Cornell, you know, he was more aggressive on, on some fourth downs. He had some key fourth downs in that, in that game. And, you know, the going for two, he, he knew the Houston defense wasn't going to be able to stop the Tennessee offense, no matter where that, when they got the ball, whether it was at the end of the game, whether it was going to be the start of overtime. And you saw Deshaun Watson after they lost the coin toss. And he was just like, Oh man, he threw his head back. He he knew they weren't getting the ball in overtime. So like, that's part of where that, that decision to go for two was they had, they had the confidence that the offense could score on that defense. They had no confidence that their defense could stop that offense. And that's probably just, it's going to translate over to what we see uh, against Green Bay this week. And, and you know, you mentioned Green Bay just kind of living off the short passes. It's just another fun uh, matchup stat is uh, Houston's 32nd in the NFL in DVOA versus short passes. So uh, another uh, positive. And, you know, Houston's actually faced a tough schedule defensively. I mean, they've had to face Pittsburgh and, uh, Baltimore and the Chiefs, which are a really good pass defense, uh, and even even Minnesota. I mean, they face four 
top 16 pass defenses. I mean, the only, or just defenses in general, according to DVOA, the only two that they faced that were, you know, not in the top half were Jacksonville, Tennessee, and they scored 30, 30 points and 36 points and Green Bay ranks 30th here. So a lot of points. That's why people ask me, Oh, you, you like this over a lot of good matchups. Why not just take Green Bay? Well, I think Houston has plenty of firepower to keep this game interesting and worse a backdoor. So uh, just give me the, give me the over and I'm not worrying about which side here. So uh, yeah, it should be fun. All right. So uh, let's move on. Uh, is there another game that uh, you guys have a specific interest in uh, as we look at this slate? I think if we move to, you know, the late afternoon, Seattle and Arizona is probably going to be another, you know, chaotic fun uh, type of game. The, the, the Cardinals, we've kind of talked about their offense of, of how it's going to take off. And, and even uh, in the game, they did well uh, against Dallas on Monday. It was still like two Kyler Murray deep shots and then not it's a lot never else. Perfect. It's un- never until, perfect <laughs> Right. And, until uh, the end of the game where, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake started rolling off those long runs. So there's still, it, it's, it's coming. Uh, it's, you know, part of it's you know, coming together. And this was a game where, you know, DeAndre Hopkins was, was not involved a lot. And that's kind of what the, the Arizona offense had been up until this point. And you see a, you know, a Seattle defense that still is not good. Can't create pressure. The, the secondary is not as good as, um, the secondary isn't as good as the talent there. We keep thinking that might recover a little bit. Um, so, uh, what, what are you guys thoughts for this game? I mean, I don't have many, to be honest, I don't have many thoughts um, one way or the other. I think, uh, you know, in division is always tough. And, you know, with Seattle, Seattle games are just so hard to handicap because they just keep every game close. So I think it'll be, it'll be a close game because that's just how it is. I mean, I've seen a stat where teams off a of, uh, of Monday night going up against a team off a of bye is like a crazy, crazy um, win rate. I, I don't know how that is. but And I've also seen uh, a lot of trends and this applied to Detroit last week teams off a buy as a road favorite, you know, hit it like yeah. 70%. It's so, you know, kind of uh, uh, combined forces. Uh, I don't, I'm not a buyer of Arizona. Um, you know, I'm not a, I think they're overrated. I, I think they played an easy schedule um, and they put up, you know, kind of modest, uh, modest numbers and, you know, they're a decent team. They're kind of the, the middle of the road team to me. They're just kind of like an average NFL team. Um, I'm not buying into them. You know, they, they somehow got away with not having Chandler Jones last week and putting a ton of pressure on, on that poor uh, Dallas offensive line. I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that against Russ. You need as many uh, athletic front seven guys as you can get. Um, and at the other side of the ball, I mean, I'd like to see if Jamal Adams will play. That will help out um, a lot because, I mean, Seattle's just been so banged up in the secondary. And I'm not sure Seattle's going to take advantage of that secondary either way. Uh, it's just going to be a lot of uh, – we're going to see a lot of third-down uh, scrambles by both Kyler and, and Russ making making big plays. I mean, that's really what this game's going to come down to is kind of who makes the biggest plays on, on this third-down broken broken plays. So, for me, I'm, I'm passing um, either side. But, again, I think it should be another game just because all Seattle games are close and fun. So, uh, I expect this as well. And these are two teams too, and you just you you keep waiting for aggression too to sit on these teams, and it hasn't. You know, Seattle has scored uh, eleven and a half touchdowns per field goal so far this season. Uh, they're kind of like the Titans of last year. They just keep getting touchdowns. The next closest team is at three point six, which is the Bills. Uh, so we keep waiting for the touchdown aggression. These teams are first and second in the league in red zone touch, red zone touchdown rate. 
Cliff has actually been – this was a bugaboo for him as a rookie head coach is that he would kick all these short field goals in the red zone yep. and fourth downs. And this year he's going for it. And they're really using Kyler's legs in all these big spots. They're Like Kyler's running – he's they're, is running a designed run on almost all of these we need the two yards, we need a yard plays. And what's kind of cool, the dynamic of Kyler running versus like a guy like Lamar is, you know, he's, you know Lamar is just – you know, we haven't seen a, a rushing quarterback like him on designed runs. But – Kyler is like this guy. He's just he just looks faster than everybody. I mean, he outran Jalen Smith on a on a play yesterday, where Jalen Smith had, or on Monday, where Jalen Smith had a complete angle on him, and he doesn't like juke guys or break tackles. He just like kind of runs around them and does that weird high step move, and it's just it's kind of an interesting rushing dynamic that he has. But it's been so effective so far this season because even on Monday. He goes nine of twenty-four against the Cowboys. You know, passing thirty-eight percent completion rate against the Cowboys, and the way to beat Seattle is over the top. They're thirtieth in the league in defending the deep ball, and Kyler's been poor in the deep ball. He's hit a couple of the last two games: the Hopkins touchdown against the Jets and the Christian Kirk touchdown on Monday night. But he's thirtieth in the league in completion rate on those throws. And inversely, the Cardinals are the best team at defending the deep ball to start the season, and that's where Russ cooks. You know, he leads the NFL with eight touchdown passes on those throws. So the way you should attack. Seattle is vertically, and that's not where the horizontal rate has typically been the best so far this year. And then the way the Cardinals are having success is throwing underneath. If you look at all the guys that have had success against the Cardinals, you know, Robbie Anderson, Terry McLaurin, uh, Amari Cooper, Jamison Crowder, those are all the guys that have been doing well against Arizona. It's not the vertical guys, but we know Russ wants to go vertical. So it's kind of an, that's kind of an interesting dynamic uh, in that game as well. But I'm excited for the game just because, you know, we've got these teams. They both have winning records. And hopefully it's the set as Russ, you know, is on the back nine of his career, sets us up with like one good like quarterback rivalry for him in division, uh, you know, at, with Kyler ascending, you know, on the way out. So hopefully we get a lot of fun Seattle Cardinals games over the next few years. Yeah, and this, I mean, it makes it so hard from a, a projection or betting standpoint or even a modeling standpoint. Like how do you model? I mean, you could, you could look at kind of efficiency numbers and things like that, but when it's third and three and you've got Kyler, Kyler Murray or – you know, Russell, like you can't model the broken plays, like you just can't. And so they kind of break all the, you know, the, the, the numbers, like, you you know, in the past, yeah, a a statue quarterback, like he kind of could predict if there's pressure or, you know, on third down, things like that, those are a little more predictable um, just because you know, the type of kind of quarterbacks and and accuracy they have, but when it's, well, you can't model out like, okay, this guy's just going to make a crazy play out of the pocket. It's just so hard to do. So that's what makes it difficult uh, in this case. And that's why, you know, I've learned a lot. I learned a long time ago, fading Russ, even though there's a lot of regression um, for the Seahawks, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't matter. They break the model. I think all these running quarterbacks like Kyler and, and Russ do that. So it makes it very difficult and also makes for a fun game. So, uh, it definitely should be a good one at four o'clock. Yeah. And kind of to go back to Rich's point, the, the play calling for Arizona side ha- has been better, especially, you know, in the red zone. Uh, oh, last year, it was a lot of like slot fades that were just like, it, they would have, you know, uh, red zone sequences where it was just three slot fades uh, and they would just continually try it and, and it wasn't working. And then it was a, you know, a 23 yard field goal. Um, so that's not happening anymore. So, so that part's getting better and, and piece by piece, I think this is picking up and we'll see because, you know, we talked about that Arizona offense that it, it wasn't exactly clicking, especially downfield, but there were, you know, a couple deep balls against the jets, uh, the, the two nice ones against Dallas. And, and what you want to see from these offenses is beating up on bad defenses that, 
that cannot defend in that area. So they kind of like to see what they can do uh, against Seattle because that, that secondary has just still been, it's, it's been up in the air. There's, we, there's talent there. We like a lot of those guys who are in the secondary and it just hasn't been good. So uh, we'll, we'll have to see uh, how much uh, that can continue going forward. Um, so as we continue moving, uh, let's try to hit maybe a couple other games. Uh, what, or is there a game you guys are really focused on this week? It, I mean, I'll hit one that I, that I already uh, bet. Um, uh, the Browns minus three. And so you can get, I mean, uh, I, I had to pay a little bit of juice here. I think 120. Um, and I think it's sitting at three and a half now. Mm-hmm. This to me is, um, you know, it's a nice buy, kind of buy low. I mean, they opened, uh, I think, a four and a half. And, you know, the money, you know, the line went down. I think it's a little bit of overreaction to last week. I mean, I talked about it here. I didn't understand why the money was on the Browns at three against the Steelers. It just didn't make sense. We knew how bad Baker was against pressure. That's what he's always struggled against pressure. It's just like nothing new. His splits are very, very obvious. Uh, and he was injured and there's other guys, you know, Teller was injured on the offensive line and the secondary was banged up. It's just none of it made sense to me. So I, I don't, I just kind of throw that game away. We saw it again against Baltimore in the opener. This is who they are. This, this team is good enough to, to beat the bad teams and the mediocre teams. And they're not good enough to compete with the, you know, the high pressure defenses like you'll see from, from Baltimore and Pittsburgh. So I don't even care what happened last week. Um, so to me, this is a much better matchup for them. We saw that in week two. They ran all over the Cincinnati defense, uh, 215 yards over six yards per carry. I mean, Kareem Hunt had a ridiculous 70% success rate and 0.68 EPA per, per play uh, running the ball against this defense. He's finally, after a couple of tough matchups, um, taken over for Chubb. He had to go up against his Colts defense and, and the Steelers. Finally gets a great matchup against Cincinnati. Uh, I mean, Cincinnati's 25th in the NFL in adjusted line yards. The Browns are number two on offense. They're number one in explosive runs. And since he's allowed the fifth highest percentage of explosive runs. And then now you add in the fact that they're missing two of the, actually the two best defensive linemen when it comes to run defense, according to PFF, DJ reader and Sam Hubbard um, were out for last game and they're, they're out this game too. I think they're out for the season. Uh, but they're by far the two best run defenders uh, on that front four. You've got Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins complaining about their roles. They may get traded. I mean, I, I saw that they had a rest day yesterday. They missed practice. I mean, who knows if they'll even be activated on Sunday. And their backups, uh, Covington and Williams and Bledsoe, these guys have graded out as some of the worst run defenders in the NFL uh, so far. They've got nobody along the defensive line that's going to play that's in the top 100 in PFF's run defensive grade. So I think this is definitely a get right spot for this Browns offense. And look, Baker is again, struggles against pressure. Cincinnati does not give, does not um, get any pressure on the quarterback. And again, without Hubbard, who is, who is um, uh, one of the, the their best uh, um, uh, pressure rate defenders, he's out. Baker's 14th in the NFL with a clean pocket. Um, so I think they're going to be able to move the ball. I think they, they didn't even touch Baker Mayfield in their first game. He had zero quarterback hits and zero sacks uh, in that first game. So he'll have plenty of time and he'll make plays. And defensively, I think, yeah, Cincinnati is going to be able to put up points, but they really relied on the short passing game. They spread the Browns out uh, five wide a lot. The Browns are missing Kevin Johnson at corner, who's one of the best slot corners in the NFL. He's, he's 10th right now in, in QB rating in the slot. He's played really well. So he's back. He'll probably uh, st- cover uh, Tyler Boyd there. Um, 
So I think from a defensive perspective, they've got Ronnie Harrison, who who's back from a concussion. He's much better safety than what they had uh, last week with Redwine. So all in all, I think uh, this is a good matchup for the Browns. Uh, I think that they'll the, be able to take advantage of some of the weaknesses for, from Cincinnati. And if you can get three, I think it's key number because I don't want Joe Burrow to backdoor me again uh, like he did last time and uh, get a cheap touchdown. So three is a key number here. Make sure you get that. I mean, the Browns are pretty easy to diagnose. I mean, when they really can stay an on-script offense against in, these, in games where they're able to kind of, you know, run well on first and second down, establish the play action. I mean, Baker at season high, nine and a half yards for pass temp when these teams played. When they play these teams, it's just really – it's really easy to understand. The Browns are going to be all right in, in these kind of matchups. Uh, and then when they face teams that force them into, you know, third and longs and can get pressure on the quarterback – you run, you run away from them. They're pretty easy to diagnose at this point. And what's crazy is that first game, they were six-point favorites. There's no home field advantage anymore, right? And it's a travels nothing from Cleveland to Cincinnati. So this line is down to three. So you're telling me the Browns are three points worse or Cincinnati's three points better than game two? I don't know. I mean, I think Cincinnati is maybe barely uh, better than what we thought coming in. Not by a ton, but they're barely better. I think the Browns are better. Um in general than what we thought coming in. Well, that so was coming off of that, that smoking of the, the Ravens did to them too. That's true. I mean, this line should be, I thought this line would be four and a half. I, I had it four and a half, um, five, maybe like maybe you give a point for home field just for the hell of it, just for, you know, the inconvenience of, of taking that drive uh, down 71. Um, but to me, this is, you're getting, a, you know, about a point and a half of uh, a value here. So to me, this is a, this is a Brown's, a Browns win by seven, in my opinion. That's my that's my prediction. All right. So uh, before we get into uh, any other games, I, we just uh, had some breaking news come across. Uh, Vikings and Ravens finalizing a trade to send Yannick Ngakwe to Baltimore for a 2021 <laughs> third-round pick um, and, a, and a 2022 that? conditional fifth. Um, yeah, so the Vikings traded uh, before the season a 2021 second-round pick uh, and a 2022 conditional fifth. Um, and But when you looked at what happened and went into that trade, Baltimore was one of the aggressive teams that was trying to get Ningakwe uh, but couldn't quite fit it under the cap. And, and when we heard some of the, the three-way trades and some of the like basketball-style contract dumps <laughs> – that were happening around that trade deal, Baltimore was the most aggressive team there. Um, and so they were a team that was going to be uh, looking for an Ngakwe. They were, they were aggressive in trying to get him earlier in the season. It kind of seems, you know, Ngakwe only has one year left on his deal. Uh, so we're seeing now that, um, you know, Minnesota realizes they don't have a lot of use for uh, a player uh, <laughs> who is going to rush the passer on a defense that is this bad uh, with only, you know, this year left uh, on his contract. Mm-hmm. So um, now going to Baltimore, now a team that's going to blitz a lot now has Yannick Ngakwe, Matt Judon, and it really anyone else on that defense can be rushing uh, at any time. Uh, they, they send everybody. So, um, yeah, I think you kind of saw that you know, Baltimore realized they, they wanted to get a little better. This was already a team that's seventh in uh, pass defense DVOA, second in run defense DVOA. Uh, Ngakwe has been a better you know, run defender uh, than pass rusher in, in Minnesota this year. But I think that's part of you know, just kind of what Minnesota's line has been. So 
Uh, yeah, so that just came through. That's per Schefter. That's uh, a, a verified report. I always have to, you know, make sure when that comes across in TweetDeck that uh, when you see something crazy like that, also have some Schefter notifications sent straight to uh, the phone so, so you know it, it's the real thing. But yeah, so uh, Yannick Ngakwe to the Baltimore Ravens. That's what, Look, yeah. anytime you can trade a second round pick and then, what, six weeks later, get a third round pick back, you got to do it, right? I mean... I mean, that's just brilliant uh, uh, front office work. I mean, that's the most, this is one of the most ridiculous trades I've ever seen just from that alone. You lost a full, I mean, Schefter's saying, oh, you get, they got most of it back. What do you mean most of it? You went from a second round pick to a third <laughs> round pick. How is that most of it? That's, that's, that's an awful trade off for, for six games. I don't get it. And there must be something behind the scenes pick. here. What's that? And probably a bad third round pick. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand what getting most of it back means here. Oh, well, there's got to be more to this story, but because their second round pick now in hindsight, you know, obviously it's hindsight's involved, but they're the Vikings second round pick is probably going to be before 40. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, you're getting back a late third round pick for a early to mid second round pick. That's awful. Oh man. I wonder if the Vikings are, look, maybe they thought going in that they've got a shot to compete and they just, you know, have figured out that we really might have to rebuild here because they do have cap concerns, right? I mean, this is a tough, um, you know, uh, uh, this was a tough off season from a cap perspective. They let a lot of defenders go. Do you think that, I think they might trade Anthony Harris? Cause I know the Browns were really interested in him uh, at safety before the season. I think he signed a big, I don't know if he signed a tender or what he signed, but it was, it was a pretty sizable contract. I, I could see them or someone else going after a guy like Anthony Harris, and maybe they'll trade off some other parts. Uh, it'd be interesting. Well, this is something in the NFL that has become more fun. You know, when we all grew up, uh, there was never NFL trades in season. The NFL trade deadline was never a thing. Like it, it always existed, but nothing ever happened. And, you know, the last few years where at least they've started to see teams be aggressive in season in terms of dumping players or, you know, moving stuff. So at least it's been fun the last few years and we're getting trades and we're probably not done. Cause it's, is it next week still? Did they move it this year? Is it still this week? eight? It's, it's election day. Yeah. It's election, on November yeah, 3rd. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I'm not sure why they, they put the trade deadline on the day uh, they did, but yeah, it's We've heard uh, Houston. With we're the, just about with their two weeks away. Yeah. With yeah. Uh, the, you know, with Bob being out, we've heard them uh, leave things open because, you know, cooks. So has years left on his deal, but they can get out for no dead money. Will Fuller's playing on his fifth year option. Uh, they those guys have been rumored to kind of be like available and you know and Gakwe none of us even really probably thought you know was available even though you know it did appear so uh, and you get to credit the Ravens because they are consistently aggressive they, oh, yeah. they, they, that they Calais Campbell trade was awesome before the season they got they would trade a fifth round pick for him yeah they're aggressive yeah, they're their team. I've I've written about this like years ago that one of the biggest market inefficiencies in the NFL has been trading these these even you know late round or even mid round picks for veterans because you know what they are uh, and you're getting a discount even with you know the some of the the cap space that that comes with it and that's part of what holds up some of these trades. But it is so many smart teams. If you're smart enough to be taking advantage of these trades for veterans, you're a smart enough cap team that you're going to be able to maneuver around some the, the cap that you're taking on so in no team that that's trading is putting themselves in a worse position usually uh by getting into the cap and i think this is interesting for for minnesota if we just go back here is now that i'm thinking about it especially with ningakwe you know having only this one year deal if the vikings realize that they really need to rebuild um they might not have thought it was worth you know resigning ningakwe so it's probably you know a, a third round comp pick that they would have had in two years now they're just kind of speeding that up 
um, and getting that third round pick this year. And obviously, you know, even though Baltimore's third round pick is going to be in the late third, that's still earlier than a, a 2022 a third round comp pick that would have been, you know, after the the completion of the third round. So I think they're kind of thinking about that. They're, they're speeding that up a little bit. I think they kind of had a, you know, a realization of where they are as a franchise and, and what makes sense. So I think it, as much as, you know, it, it looks bad comparing it to what they traded for him. I think it's a smart move of figuring out what they are right now and, and just kind of getting that process started and not kind of, you know, um, have some delusional thinking that that they should continue forward in what they're doing. But yeah, like you said, the, the trade deadline is interesting. And maybe we'll have a, a podcast where we talk about this a little more. I mean, I, I just wrote a, a, a tr- potential trade post for uh, Sharp Football Analysis. And that's actually a, a, you know, a fun thing to write now because these trades could actually happen. You know, a couple of years ago, they, they didn't. Um, so it's it's super interesting. It's a little less fun without Bill O'Brien because there was no crazy uh, Texans trade that I, I felt like I, I should be, uh, you know, putting in there. And I think Deshaun Watson, I, I don't know how much say he has, but I think pretty definitively he said after practice uh, on Wednesday that uh, they were told none of those wide receivers were getting traded. And I think he kind of sounded a little relieved uh, about that. So, you know, we'll see. But I think especially if we use this Ngakwe thing as, you know, as an indication that there might be some, some tr- names we weren't expecting. And I, I think we see a lot of names, you know, we kind of are expecting, you know, the Evan Ingrams and, and guys like that uh, who, who could be traded. Uh, but, free Evan uh, Ingram. Hashtag yeah, free abs- Evan Ingram. Uh, absolutely. Let me, let me ask you a question. Uh, I don't know the contract situation as much, but now with, with Atlanta, you know, getting rid of uh, um, their GM and obviously head coach. And if they lose this week, I mean, they're out of it. Is there any way that Matt Ryan could be on the block? And they just say, screw it, let's just try to get a top pick. I'm just throwing it out there as if we're looking for someone who kind of out of the blue that no one's talking about. Is there, uh, Dan, from what you've you've read and seen, uh, you know the cap situations more. I mean, is that viable, you think? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, Matt, Matt Ryan's not uh, going anywhere. Atlanta's in, in a in a spot where they they can't really move him, and, and Julio Jones too. Right, you know, right now, even if they uh, if they trade him in season, uh, there's still about you know 17 million uh, in dead money. Uh, next year, it's you know it hits about uh, the same, especially if they, if they trade him before the season. Um, so. Gotcha. It's, it's oh yeah looking at matt ryan's too yeah especially because there was there was a recent restructure there's still about you know 49 million dollars uh, in dead money um, yeah. on that deal so it's it's going to be uh, tough for them to get out of that so it kind of seems like matt ryan's going to be in, uh, in atlanta for 2021 unless they you know really to figure some stuff out julio is about you know the same there's you know not as much dead money on that contract but it's going to be difficult to work and it's still a significant chunk uh that atlanta would have to keep um in order for to move uh those two deals and so yeah that's that's part of i know i wrote this uh, immediately in in first and ten um after the you know after the firing of dan quinn and, and uh thomas dimitrov that, that atlanta is in an interesting place they're a team that you know probably should rebuild but their team right now isn't completely structured uh to be doing that so that's that's going to be an interesting uh give and take uh we see uh, going forward there. And I think, so uh, let's get back to these games. I just want to hit uh, one more that I'm really interested in, and that's uh, the Chiefs and, and Broncos. Um, so 
it's it's a it's a late afternoon game. I think that's one of the more interesting late afternoon games. Although we do get also get 49ers Patriots, which should be interesting. But oh, with the Chiefs right now, I think it's just so interesting how teams have been defending them. I think we saw from Houston uh, in in the first game of the season, and it's been a little different from you know some other defenses exactly how uh, they've done it. But they are you know sitting back. Uh, a lot of teams go in too high. The Chargers, you know, did their, their cover three, where it's kind of three high. Um, but they're, they're going, you know, too high and selling out to stop the big play for Kansas City. And Kansas City has been adapting to that in different ways. Um, you know, they against Houston, it was a lot of short passing. Uh, against the Chargers, it was just, you know, not really being good on offense at all. And then against the Bills, it was fine. We're going to run the ball down your throat. And I think that's interesting to see. You know, Kansas City's offense has still been good. It's still among the best, uh, you know, in efficiency. Patrick Mahomes is still, you know, one of the best uh, quarterbacks in EPA, but it's just not, not coming with those big plays. So I think it's interesting to see. And this Denver defense right now is, you know, um, it's sixth in overall DVOA. It's uh, the defense that is uh, it's ninth in pass defense DVOA. It's fifth in run defense DVOA. So if they're selling out to stop the big play, I, I don't think Kansas city is going to have as good a time as running the ball as they did against the Buffalo bills defense that just couldn't stop the run at all. So I think how all of this plays together and how Kansas city, um, you know, just adapts from game to game and tries to think about how they're going to attack these defenses that are selling out so much to stop these big plays. I think it's real interesting from you know, a Kansas city offense and probably, you know, as we look at some of these, these fantasy options, it's, you have no idea what's going to come. It's like Travis Kelsey is always going to be there because he'll have those short passes that he can take, but figuring out all the other options has just kind of, it feels like it's been, it's been a toss up so far this year with defenses honing in so much on stopping those explosive plays. I mean, we, we talked about it last week. We were this game. We said, I, I did, you know, Buffalo is, was like second in blitz rate going in. And we said, are they going to learn their lesson, you know, the lesson from, from the Ravens and all these other teams that have tried to blitz Mahomes Cause that's what they do. And, and, or are they going to, you know, kind of sit back a little bit and, and play softer. And they certainly did. They blitzed one time last uh last week one time um and you saw like i said they just ran the ball down their throats now i will say from a pick or poison perspective i'll take uh my chances with a bunch of runs on first and second down and then mm-hmm. you know, hope you get lucky with a with a mahomes third down you know third and four or something you know an incompletion or you know as a penalty or whatever it might be i'll take my chances that way um and i'll i'll you know allow five yards per carry if I can get that um, versus just, you know, blitz in the house and getting, you know, torched by Tyreek Hill and Hardman and those guys. So uh, yeah, I don't think that these teams are going to, are going to change. Like, why would you, it's, it's kind of been working. It's been working, you know, enough. Um, I'll be curious to see, cause I think Fangio is a really good defensive mind. Uh, I'm curious to see what he comes up with, but yeah, I think uh, you expect much of the same um going forward i mean I don't, I don't see you know this is a copycat league so why not he talked about it after the game and uh bills fans like i saw on twitter were like kind of con- like confused that that was the plan to just give up eight yards to carry but uh you know he talked about just you know having a chance at the end of the game with the ball to you know you know the not instead of going trying to win a shootout and go the distance in a shootout and i think that's what we saw at teams what teams are starting to find out though uh, dropping all these guys back though in the coverage is that Patrick Mahomes is really good at extending plays. 
you know, he was a guy mm -hmm. at Texas Tech that he ran a lot in college and was mobile. And we saw at the end of last season when teams started to do this, he really had never run early in his career because he didn't have to because he's throwing bombs. And then we saw at the end of last year, he really started to use his legs. And we saw, we started to see it carry over into this season where he's running and extending plays a lot. And we saw it in that third down play that basically sealed the game where he rolls out and hits Pringle. But um, he's using his legs in the run game. Uh, so when they're dropping back and you're not pressuring him, he's not a guy that's a statue. And I think that teams that that's also part of the, the, the rub of doing this. You're not giving up big plays, but Patrick Mahomes can also just beat you on the ground a lot more than people are like cognizant of just because of the, the cachet he's built up with his arm so far to start his career. Yeah. He's not, you know, the, the most dangerous scrambler where he's going to, you know, take off all the time or they're going to have these, you know, designed reads for him. Um, but it kind of comes back to you. Like uh, Andrew Luck was kind of like this earlier in his career where, you know, he wasn't taking off often, but when he did, it was devastating because he always knew where the first down marker was. He knew he had the space to get there uh, and he knew he had the ability to get there. And uh, that's what we're seeing with, with Patrick Mahomes right now. He's probably the, the smartest scrambler uh, in the league. I would say, because he just, he's, he's picking, his spots and uh, when he has that he, he knows he's going to get it there and and when he doesn't he knows he has the the arm and the accuracy to uh you know throw it and, and pick up you know a, a first down when he needs to so i think that's super interesting and, and it's you know we talk about that that bill's philosophy and it, it it's smart for a sense but also for it to work you can't be giving up, you know, the, the seven, eight yards per carry. You need to be, you know, have it hover around five and, and think it's just efficient enough for the Chiefs. But when you're giving up so much chunk yardage um, as the Bills were, that's when it kind of hits you and, and it's not a philosophy that's going to work. But with Denver, you know, a team that's going to be much better against the run and, and has been to this point in the season, we'll see if the Chiefs are, you know, interested in continually, you know, pounding uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, because, you know, the, the Chiefs were still uh, among the, the, as much as, you know, people were kind of looking at Edwards-Alaire and how he's maybe brought the efficiency of the offense down because they're, they're giving him so many carries. The, the Chiefs going into last week's game, the Chiefs were still the pass heaviest team uh, on first and second down through the first three quarters. So kind of when they're, you know, con really controlling when, when they pass or run. Um, so it, the Chiefs are, are still going to be passing, but we'll, we'll, we'll see how, whether those explosive plays uh, can come. And I think so much of the uh, inefficiency or the, the, decrease in efficiency because the Chiefs are still one of the most efficient offenses in the league and it's funny how you know we're, we're kind of looking at this the Chiefs team as like a disappointment uh, because they're they're not throwing for you know 40 yard chunk plays but so much of that I think has become the opposing defensive philosophy and, and not that they're you know feeding Clyde Edwards aware uh, I think that's that's the effect of what the defenses have been giving and the, the chiefs are just kind of reacting to that. And I think we'll see eventually it, it might shift where if Clyde Edwards O'Leary is running for, you know, six yards a carry when the teams are trying to force the run, uh, they're going to back off off that. And then we're going to see Patrick Mahomes uh, go the ham again and, and throw all these deep bombs. I think it's just going to, it's, it's going to be a cycle that we'll see. Um, and, and I'm real interested to see what, what it's going to look like uh, against Denver against, you know, one of the better defenses that, um, that the chiefs have played so far this year. 
so with that, I think we've we've gotten through a, a bunch, and you can you know continually look to see what we're thinking about for other games. You know, Rich has the worksheet up at Sharp Football Analysis that has thoughts on the, every game, and TA is going to have a betting preview. So uh, it, even if we don't get through all the games, you will be able to see uh, what we're thinking about just pretty much every game if you're following our work on Sharp Football Analysis. Um, so we're going to uh, end the show here. You can follow Rich on Twitter at Reeves. Uh, listen to the uh, Pre-Snap Motion uh, Fantasy Football Podcast, which is another podcast part of Sharp Football Analysis. You can follow TA on Twitter at CleveTA. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. I'd like to thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank <laughs> you.